0: Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. 1 Samuel chapter 9. Father God, we thank you once again for your Word. We pray, Father, to be sensitive to your Spirit. We pray to be open to whatever you desire to do in us and through us and whatever you desire to speak into our lives tonight. And I do pray for a timely word to share and that you would equip me, Father, to rightly divide your word of truth. And for anyone else who's teaching on the campus, I pray the same prayer, Father. And for anyone who's serving in any capacity, help them, Lord, to serve in the power of your spirit and in joy and love and with a heart of gratitude because we are in a privileged position in Christ to be able to serve you and to partner with you in this work. So Father, I do pray that I would decrease and you would increase at this time, and you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, so 1 Samuel chapter 9, so we find ourselves, and the title of the lesson is Detail-Oriented detail-oriented. And so in this lesson, we're going to see the first meeting between the man who became the first king of Israel and Samuel. And we're going to use this narrative tonight as a springboard to find encouragement and comfort at whatever point or circumstance in your life that, that you're in. And so I just pray that Again, that we'll all have an open and receptive heart and that we'll pick up on those spiritual nuggets, that we'll receive them and apply them uh, with the help of God's Holy Spirit. And so, again, I hope you find encouragement and comfort in what we're going to share tonight. And so we want to turn to uh, verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 9. And there, the word of God, it says that there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekorath, the son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. In other words, Kish was a man of wealth or high reputation. He was a man of influence. And in verse 2, it says he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. And from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. And so there is a reason that this description of Saul was included. And that's because Saul, he looked the part of a king. Because remember, the children of Israel, they rejected God, the true king, for a human king and so this Saul here he looked a part of a king and so again that's the reason for this description and so Saul in other words is a king or would be a king in their own image and there's something for us tonight there and that something is that we need to be careful of choosing people and assigning people to our lives just because they so-called fit the image. But, but oh, they look so handsome and they seem so cool on the outside and they, they, they say a lot of cool things and so they fit the image. They look the part. They sound like the part. And so some people just assign them into their lives without praying about it, without waiting, without doing a little more research. And so we need to be careful of choosing those people and then assigning them just because outwardly they fit what is in our mind, our own image. And, and Samuel will learn this once again. He will learn this the hard way. In First Samuel sixteen seven, 7, um, it says, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him for the Lord does not see as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So here in this instance, you know, the Lord is talking to Samuel because later on God, and this is a spoiler alert, God is going to reject Saul as king later on. And so he's going to want to appoint a new king. And so He's going to use Samuel to do that, to appoint that new king. And so when Samuel went to Bethlehem and he looked at one of Jesse's sons, who once again looked the part, just like Saul here looks the part. And Samuel saw Eliab, I believe that was Jesse's son's name. And he says, oh, this must be God's anointed. This must be the new king who's going to replace Saul. And so the Lord gives this warning here in in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Don't just look at the outside. The Lord will say, I've refused him. Because the Lord looks at people in a different way. He just doesn't look at what's on the outside, but he looks at the heart of people, man or woman. And now the donkeys of Kish in verse 3, Saul's father were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise. Go and look for the donkeys. And so he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha. And they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shealim and, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. When they had come to the land of Zuth. Saul said to his servant who was with him, come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. And so they reached Zuth at this time, which is a district that's northwest of Jerusalem in the territory of the tribe of Ephraim. And then in verse six, it says, and he, that is the servant, said to Saul, who would be the future king, look now, There is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. And I'm just wondering tonight because this servant, he he is aware of this honorable man. Speaking of Samuel, in this case, he's honorable and, and he knows the word of God. And he's confident that this man of God will will show Saul and his servant the way that they should go to find those donkeys. And so what I'm wondering tonight is, are we that person that people can rely on for a word of God? Are we that person that, that others can go to when they have a question about life, when they have a question about the Lord, when they have a question about something biblical, when they have a question about something spiritual, do we have... The answer is based on the truth of God's word. And when we share the truth, can we be relied upon? Can we have that same reputation as Samuel, this prophet, this priest, and judge all at the same time, wrapping the one? See, then Saul said to his servant in verse seven, but look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone. And There is no present to bring to the man of God. Once again, speaking of Samuel, and then Saul asked the question, what do we have? And the servant answered Saul again and said, look, I have here at hand one fourth of a shekel, which is about a tenth of an ounce of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. And then in parentheses, it says, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire or ask of God, he spoke thus. He spoke this way, come, let us go to the seer for he who was now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. And, and so here, when it talks about bringing a gift to this man of God, to Samuel, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that the prophets required a gift before they would give the people a word from God. And instead, approaching a superior with the, with the present was more like a custom at this point or in that culture. And so one thing I wanted to point out about Saul and then of course about the servant who's with him is that Saul as you can see here is the one who's bringing up the problems he's bringing up the problems even in verse five one problem that he brought up was hey my father's gonna stop worrying about the donkeys and then start worrying about me and then he brings up another problem here that we see I believe in verse seven when, when he brings up the problem of not having anything to take to the man of God, that is, once again, to Samuel. But the servant, on the other hand, is the one who's coming up with the solutions. And, and I'm just wondering tonight, or I want to pose the question to you, actually, to all of us. And the question is, do we consistently find ourselves bringing up the problem only? Are we only those people who's just going to point out what's wrong? But we're never the ones who point out how we can be a part of the solution. We're never the ones who's going to say, hey, let's pray about this and and ask the Lord for wisdom so we can solve this issue. Are we those people who just like to bring up problems and just be stuck there? Well, tonight, I encourage all of us to to be like the servant, to not just hear the problem, but be a part of the solution. Be, Be the person who brings up something that can help resolve the matter at hand. And of course, we do that with the help from God and not according to our flesh and not according to man's philosophy. So are we consistently finding ourselves bringing up the problem or are we a part of the solution? And that's something to think about tonight. As we continue in verse 10, it says, Then Saul said to his servant, Well said, Come, let us go. And so they went to the city where the man of God was. And as they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? Remember, that's talking about the prophet. And in verse 12, And they answered them and said, Yes, there he is just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to this city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place, which is a place of worship. And as soon as you come into the city, in verse 13, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place, that is to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. And afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now, therefore, these women are saying, go up for about this time you will find him. And so they went up to the city. Saul and his servant went up to the city. And and as they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Again, the place of worship or or this open air sanctuary on the hilltop. And, And now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear, The day before Saul came saying, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him commander or leader over my people Israel that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines, these enemies of the children of Israel. Because the Lord says, for I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. You know, one thing that stands out in those verses is something that was written in verse 15. And what is written there in verse 15 is the fact that the Lord has spoken or had spoken in Samuel's ear. And he told Samuel about Saul, about the time of his coming. And I just want you to imagine having this close of a relationship with the Lord. And we all, if you put your faith in Christ, you do have a relationship with God the Father. You know, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody can come to the Father but through him. And so, again, when we put our faith in him, then yes, we do have a relationship with God the Father, but then our relationship or our fellowship with him can be closer and can you imagine what that's like, where the Lord would just whisper in your ear, where the Lord would just, would speak things to you, and you know for sure, for a certainty that it's him. You, you know how to use discernment, and you know how to discern whether it's your voice, the enemy's, or God's. You know for certain that it is the Lord. And may we all pray to have this close of a walk or fellowship with the Lord. And I do want to say this. What I want to say is that the Lord does want to speak with us. And I'm 100% sure of that. And the reason I'm 100% sure that the Lord wants to speak with us is because of his inspired word. And inspired means his breathe out word. He breathed out his word. He set aside certain men to write down what he breathed out. And then they wrote it down on parchment. And so I know that he wants us to hear from him. Not only that, but he preserved his word. Even after all of the attempts to get rid of the word of God, both Old and New Testament, God still preserved his word to the point where we have thousands and thousands of manuscripts. And when you talk about the New Testament, you're talking about uh, the manuscripts that are written in Greek. And when I use the word manuscripts, I'm talking, about, I'm talking about things written by hand. That is before the typewriter. And so there's nearly 6,000 partial and whole manuscripts written in Greek. And so God miraculously preserved his word. And then when you talk about the Old Testament, you, you talk about those Dead Sea Scrolls. And you see how God preserved his word miraculously. And so, yes, I do know for 100% certainty that God wants us to hear from him. Because once again, he inspired his word and then he preserved his word. Uh, But I also know that he wants us to hear from him just like Samuel heard from him because he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us. And not only that, but he has given spiritual gifts to people in the church. And so there's various people in the church. Sometimes he gives the gifts of, of the word of wisdom. And so when there's an issue and nobody can find a solution, somebody goes or the team goes before the Lord in prayer and then the Lord reveals how to resolve the issue. Because when you talk about wisdom, you go beyond knowledge. And so you take that knowledge, and then you apply it. And so when you think of wisdom in the Word of God, think of it's a skill in living. And so God shows us how to as we get wisdom. And it goes, once again, beyond the intellect. It goes beyond knowledge. And so sometimes, one of the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that's Uh, that we are allowed to use is the word of wisdom. And sometimes it is the word of knowledge. And the word of knowledge can be used when, for example, nobody has revealed a certain type of information to you, but all of a sudden this person used by God comes to you and tell you something about yourself or your situation that they couldn't have possibly known except for God giving them that information. And I know that that gift is real. I know that the Holy Spirit is real because that, thing, that happened to me. I was talking to someone who used that gift and they told me something that I never told anybody before. And so God is still distributing those gifts through the Holy Spirit. And so the gifts are still for today because the Holy Spirit is still for today. And it says in 1 Corinthians 12 that he devised the gifts individually according to his will. So yes, sometimes it's the word of wisdom. Sometimes it's the word of knowledge. Sometimes it's the gift of prophecy. And when you use the gift of prophecy, it's not always foretelling, which is talking about telling something about the future. Sometimes or many times it's just forth telling. Again, it's forth telling. And so I like to call that a timely word something that we hear need to hear right now at this particular time in our lives. And the gift of prophecy, when you talk about that, you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where it talks about you giving a word for edification. You give a word of comfort. You give a word of encouragement. That is the gift of of prophecy being used. And, and it's again, it's not something that we can turn on and turn off. It's, it's the Holy Spirit prompting us to use that gift. Or, or maybe God wants to communicate to us, not just through the word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or even the gift of prophecy. It could be through the gift of teaching. And oftentimes you'll see that the gift of teaching goes along with the gift of prophecy, where sometimes you are hearing a teaching and then you hear a word of prophecy that pertains to you and your situation, not necessarily something about the future, but something about what you're going through to the point where you're thinking that somebody told your business to the pastor. But no, that is God and God gets the glory. And so, yes, that's why I say I know for 100% certainty that God wants us to hear from him once again because of the Bible, because of his Holy Spirit who indwells us and because of the spiritual gifts, which we call the gifts of the Spirit. And another thing I want to point out in these uh, group of verses that we read in verses 10 through 16 is something in in verse 16, where, where God says, I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. And that's so amazing to me because even though the people rejected God as their king in favor of a human king, God was still concerned for their well-being. God is a merciful. He is a compassionate. He's a gracious God. There's many people today in our lifetimes who have turned their backs on God, just like the children of Israel did. Many people are still being stubborn. Many people are going their own way, but God still wants the best for them. But with Darrell, how do you know that? Well, one scripture I want to point out is Second Peter chapter three verse nine, where it says that the Lord is not slack; He's not slow concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but He's long suffering. He's long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish or be destroyed, but that all should come to repentance, meaning a change of mind. And repentance, by the way, involves a turning with contrition. That means you have sorrow and remorse, and you turn from that sin and you turn to God. And so that's God's, what I would call, perfect will. Now, last week I talked about permissive will and his perfect will. And that's his perfect will. Not everyone will obey his perfect will. This is what he prefers. He prefers that nobody would perish or be destroyed. He prefers that instead all should come to repentance. But I want you to notice something there too. That word long suffering. That means patient and bearing the offenses and injuries of others. So so although people offend God, they curse God, they're stubborn towards God and the things of God, they turn their backs on God, God is still patient in putting up with our offenses. Long-suffering God. And so we have to, in our prayers, make sure that we thank God and Praise God for the fact that he's so long-suffering, that he is so compassionate, that he's so merciful. And then in Ezekiel thirty-three eleven, again, we're talking about God still wanting the best for people, even though they reject him. You know, Ezekiel 33, 11 says, Say to them, as I live or as surely as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? And in the place of Israel, you can put America. Why should you die, America? You can speak to many of of our families and households. Why should you die, household or family member? No, God has something better in store for us. He has no pleasure when the wicked dies. And the wicked is one who, who dies in their spiritually dead state. And how do you know that somebody is spiritually dead? A person is spiritually dead when they have, of course, no spiritual life. That only comes through God, the life giver. And once again, that's only through faith in Christ. That life is in Jesus. So if you want the life, you have to have Jesus. And that comes through faith. In verses 17 through 20, it says, So when Samuel, this is the man of God here, when he saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. And then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place or the place of worship for you shall eat with me today and tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? Now remember, Israel desired a human king. And so the questions that, that Samuel posed to Saul in verse 20 is a hint at the fact that Saul is going to be the king that the nation desired. And what's interesting is that the name Saul means desired or asked of God. And so essentially the people of Israel put their hope in this one that they desired. They put their hope in this human King. They put their hope in Saul. And so the scriptures are very clear that we don't put our hope in humans, but those of us who trust in the Lord, we are blessed. We are blessed. And so we don't want to put our confidence in man. Because humans, even after salvation, even if the person is saved, that person still has a sin nature. That person can still disappoint you. And of course, they should be sinning less and becoming more like Jesus and less like the old them. But they still, man still has a sin nature. So you don't put your hope, you don't put your trust in man. And on top of that, humans are not all powerful and humans are not all knowing. And so you want to put your trust, you want to put your hope in God. But of course, the children of Israel, they put their hope in the human king. They desired a human king. He was the desire of Israel. And my prayer is that the Lord will be our desire. And I know many of you spend time praying in your quiet time and praying in your prayer closet and praying when you gather together with the saints that your family members would have a desire for God and the things that are of God. And we should continue praying that he would be their desire. And even for us as believers, we can get off track and we can put things ahead of God. We can put things in the place of God, these little idols. And so we have to remind ourselves to to make sure that our main desire, our only true desire is for the Lord. That Lord, we, we want to get to that point where we can say, Lord, if If I don't have anything else, if I don't have the best car, if I don't have the best job or career, if I don't have any more degrees, if if I don't have another day of good health, Lord, all I want is you. I desire you, because if you have the Lord, then you have everything that you need. Then in verse 21, as we continue, it says, Saul answered and said, am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin, why then do you speak like this to me? No, so what contributed to the tribe of Benjamin being the smallest of the tribes of Israel? Well, for that information, you would need to go to the book of Judges, chapters 19 and 20. And you can read that on your own time. But what contributed uh, to the tribe of Benjamin uh, being the smallest of Israel is that they were almost wiped out. In fact, only 600 has survived because they hid at the Rock of Remen because there was some type of civil strife. Only because some of their men had done wickedly. And so the other tribes of Israel came against them. And so they had dwindled down to once again, 600 men. And so that's why that statement by Saul here is, is accurate. Uh, but to be clear. Saul's questions that he posed to Samuel, the man of God, they, they actually show humility on his part. And so Saul, this future king of Israel, this future first king of Israel, of that nation, he was actually starting off on the right foot. Because we know from the scriptures that the Lord rewards humility. It says that those who exalt themselves will be abased and those who abase themselves or humble themselves will be exalted. And so he gets off or he starts off on the right foot. And in verses 22 through 24, it says, now Samuel took Saul and his servant and he brought them into the hall or this banquet hall at the high place and had set them or had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. And there were about 30 persons In verse 23, it says, And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion which I gave to you, of which I said to you, set it apart. And so the cook took up the thigh with with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Here it is what was kept back. It was set apart for you. Eat for until this time it has been kept for you. Ever since I said I invited the people. And so Saul ate with Samuel that day. And so Saul pretty much was given the special portion of the fellowship offering that normally belonged to the priest who offered the blood of the peace offering as well as the fat. And so what we see here is that there was a special portion and a place when you see where he was seated, there was a a particular portion and place designated for Saul And the same is true for us in a spiritual manner because there is a place for us and a portion just for us in the body of Christ. Because once again, it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we are the body of Christ. Some people may be the eye. Some people may be a toe or an elbow. Some people may be a nose or an ear. But, but God or the Holy Spirit places each believer who, put, who puts their faith in Christ in the body where he wants them. And so we all have a place in Christ. We all have at least one spiritual gift And then, of course, in the kingdom of God, we're going to be assigned a duty according to the will of God. And so there is a special place and portion just for us. And so I like that saying, what God has for us is for us, which also uh, pertains to blessings in this lifetime on this side of eternity. What God has for us is for us. And so you don't have to be jealous of any other saint. In verse 25, it says, when they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house and they arose early. And it was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house saying, get up that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. And, and so the, the top of the houses in Israel, of course, was, were flat. And many of you already know this. And they were often occupied by members of the household who wanted some fresh air in the evening, for example. But on the rooftops at night, it was also a nice place to sleep and just enjoy that cool air. And so Saul sleeping on the roof is not all that unusual. And so I wanted to point that out. But in verse 27... Of uh, 1 Samuel 9, it says, as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel, the man of God said to Saul, tell the servant, the servant who's been with you trying to find those donkeys, tell them to go on ahead of us. And the servant went on. But you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. And so God as we pay attention to this narrative, to this story here in 1 Samuel chapter 9, God was working in every way. And the description that I'm going to use tonight is detail-oriented. And I just wonder tonight, and you don't have to raise your hands, but, or you don't have to post anything in the chat, but, but does anyone consider themselves detail-oriented? oriented. In other words, you, you pay close attention to the smallest of details and, and you're very thorough. And I don't even know what a nook and cranny is, but you, you make sure that the nook and crannies are even taken care of. You are detail oriented. In fact, uh, I've been told by my wife that I'm, that I'm kind of this way. And I remember when the children were younger and we used to have a day to clean up the house. Uh, my wife and children were bothered be- because I was the detail oriented one. Uh, I didn't go for it just cleaning the surface. I looked under cabinets and I opened drawers. If the clothes weren't folded, I took them out and made them refold their clothes. Don't stuff anything under the beds. That's not really clean. And so I would get on the nerves of my wife and children. And so I was that detail-oriented one. But, but God, in this lesson, since you know what it means to be detail-oriented, he is the detail-oriented one of tonight's lesson. In fact, he is the detail-oriented God of the universe. And, and as we consider what happened in this lesson, first of all, it was no coincidence that, that Saul's father's donkeys were lost. That, that was no coincidence. And it was also no coincidence that Saul and the servant that went with him could not find the donkeys. And I believe that you know along with me that, that it was no coincidence that Saul and his servant would end up in the same city that Samuel was located. And it was no coincidence that they ran into some women who were able to point out where Samuel was at, guess what? At just the right time. And it was no coincidence that, that Saul and the servant came to the city on, guess what? That, that same day that he would be there to bless the sacrifice and eat with the people. And it was no coincidence that they would run into Samuel before he would even go up to that place of worship. In fact, we see that God is so detail oriented that he even prepared Samuel for Saul's arrival. And God was so detail oriented that he told Samuel the day and the time that guess what? He would send Saul to him. And our God, the God that we serve, is so thorough that he worked on every end and he'll work on everything in between in order to cause what? His plans to fall into place. And so in our study tonight, we see that God was able to work out those details for Saul to get him connected to Samuel, so that he could be anointed the king of Israel. And God, this same God of the Bible, this same God is first in 1 Samuel chapter 9 that worked out these details on the ends of Saul and Samuel to anoint him this newly appointed king, that same detail-oriented God is, is working out all of the details in our lives to help us to get to where he wants us to be. And as we consider the text and as we look back and meditate upon the text that we have just read, we we can spot at least three ways that God works out the details in our lives to get us to where he wants us to be. Or maybe it's God's goal right now for you to become a better mother. Maybe it's his goal right now or his plan for us to become a better father. Maybe it's his plan right now for him to, to work things out for us to become a better husband or a better wife. Maybe it's to become a better servant in the church, a better employer or a better employee. Or maybe it's, it's God's plan right now. What he wants to get us to at this point in our lives is to help us to become a better decision maker. Oh, whatever, whatever his plan is for our lives specifically in this time, Once again, we can see at least three ways that God works out the details, and we can take these points from 1 Samuel chapter 9. And the first way that God works out details in our lives to help us to get to where he wants us to be is to use circumstances. In the chapter that we read tonight, the circumstance that God used to work out details in Saul's life is those donkeys. He used those lost donkeys. And maybe for some of you it's not a lost donkey. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's the loss of a, lo- a loss of a loved one or the loss of a relationship. Or perhaps it's the loss of some type of opportunity. But either way, God is somehow using those circumstances to work out the details in your life to help you to get to where he wants you to be and to become what he wants you to become. But another way that God works out the details in our lives is to use those dead ends. Well, Darrell, where did you get that point from? Well, well remember that, that Saul and his servant, as they were going around looking for those, those donkeys, they kept going from one place to another, from one dead end to another, and they still could not find those donkeys. But as they ran into one dead end, it caused them to move on to another place. And then when that was a dead end, they moved on to another place. And then eventually, of course, they ended up with Samuel whom God wanted to use to anoint Saul as the first king of Israel. And so, yes, God uses those so-called dead ends in our lives to help us to become what he wants us to be. See, those dead ends, they they reveal to us that what, that what we're looking for, it's not there. And they force us to go in another direction. I like to say they force us to go in... God's direction. And so as we're going through those dead ends in our lives, thinking that we're going to find what we're looking for, and we reach those dead ends, what we're doing is crossing out options because we realize, hey, what I'm looking for, I'm just not going to find here. And then eventually, Lord willing, you end up in the right place. You end up on the right path. You end up in God's path. But another way God works out the details in our lives is that he uses people. In our lesson tonight, he used the the servant. He used the young women. And then, of course, he would use Samuel to get to where God wanted Saul, which was to be anointed the first king, the first human king of Israel. Oh, and God would use people in our lives, too in order to work out those details in our lives. He'll use people to pray with us. He'll use people to share a word of wisdom with us. He'll use people to share a word of prophecy with us and not necessarily foretelling. Remember I said it could be foretelling and most of the time that's what the gift of prophecy is. Once again, foretelling. Or it could even be a word of knowledge. But God can use people in our lives in order to work out those details to help us to get to where he wants us to be. And I was so blessed at the old church that I used to go to in California that God used those saints to get me to where he wanted me to be. Because I had no idea of spiritual gifts. I just thought that once I got saved, that okay, now I'm going to share Christ with whoever and just be as obedient as possible to the word of God. But God used them. Hey, Darrell, the, the, the kids need a Sunday school teacher. And so I filled that role and, and then they, so on and just kept going. But, it's, it, but God used them in my life to, to help me to identify the spiritual gift that God wanted me to use. And I suspect that God has done that for many of you as well. That God has brought a brother or sister in your life to reveal to you or to at least confirm that, hey, I could see God using you in this way. And if you don't know how God wants to use you or what spiritual gifts he wants you to use, I would encourage you to pray about that. But here's the thing. Not only does God use other people as part of his detailed plan in our lives, but you could also be a part of God's plan to help someone else. And so, are you available? Are you available for God's use as the worship team comes to the stage? And now God, I want to share this with you. No, he may not be working out details or weaving details together in our lives so that we will be anointed a king like Saul. Now, say that one more time. God may not be working out details or weaving the details together in our lives to help us to become a king like Saul. But ultimately, he has a plan to help us to become more like the king of kings, to become more like the Lord of lords. As it tells us in Romans 8, Verse twenty nine. As some of you are probably thinking, well, Darrell, I need some proof. I need you to show me in the text that ultimately God wants me to be more like the King of Kings. Well, in Romans eight twenty nine it says, "For whom He foreknew." Again, this is speaking of those that God knew beforehand, those chosen beforehand in Christ. Because those He foreknew, guess what He did? He predestinated or determined beforehand. So what did God predestinate for those that he foreknew? He predestined that we will be conformed or fashioned into the image of his son, that he, that Jesus might be the firstborn. That means first in rank among many brethren. And so there is your text proof that it's, it's the ultimate goal of God for us to become more like the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And so all of these losses that you've suffered in your lives, all of these dead ends that you may have faced in your lives. All of these ups that you experienced in your lives and all of these downs and all of these open doors you faced in your lives and all of these shut doors that you faced in your lives, all of the good and all of the bad and all of the ugly that you've been through. All of these things that you've been through in your lives, they're all being used by God, our detail-oriented God to help us to become more like Christ. And so when you think of those, even some of those good relationships and even some of those bad relationships, when you think of all of those things that rub you the wrong way, I want you to think of them as sandpaper that God is using as, as part of the details to help mold you, to help shape you into the image of Christ. Because God has predestined that those he foreknew will become conformed or fit into the mold of his son, Jesus Christ. And that is God's word for tonight. And so as we go into the next part of our service, I want you to pray and ask the Lord if there's anything in your life, is there any sin in your life that you need to confess to him? Because we're getting ready to get into communion. And so it is a time of self-examination. So is there sin in our lives? And if he shows you that, then confess. And he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But also as we partake of communion, it's a time to remember the blood and the body of Christ. Time of examination, time of remembrance, a time of gratitude. So may your hearts, may our hearts be filled with gratitude as we partake of communion. And communion, by the way, is, you know, on, on Wednesday nights is, is served a little differently. And so if you're new or visiting, you have the elements at the front and back, and there, there's two cups there, they're stacked. You have the cup of the, the cracker or bread, and then you have the juice. The juice representing the blood of Christ. The bread, of, once again, representing the body of Christ. And this is something that believers, Christians, partake of. So once again, use this time to re- reflect and, and ask the Lord to show you if there's anything in your life. And I'll lead you in a prayer. And then I'll take my seat. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. Thank you for being a detail-oriented God who knows everything about us. And Lord, we, we just pray that you'll help us to be more grateful and just to be encouraged when things seem to be falling apart. Because Lord, on surface, those things that are falling apart, in your eyes, they're really falling into place. And we just thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. And I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight who've been trying to figure out how all of these things in their lives are beneficial to them. I pray that you would use tonight's lesson to be a blessing to them, Lord. I pray that you'll help each and every one of us to grow a little bit more tonight, Father. And I pray, Lord, that, that before we leave, Lord, and partake of communion, that Lord, we will do it with the heart of reverence and gratitude and remembrance. And so, Father, forgive us of our sins, those sins that we're not aware of, and as you bring anything to our attention, if there's anything that needs to be brought to our attention help us lord to humbly ask you to forgive us and so lord may you be glorified throughout the remainder of our time together and may you bless my brothers and sisters who are here and those watching and listening may you bless the remainder of their week and use them in a mighty way thank you lord we praise you father We praise you, Holy Spirit. We praise you, Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.